While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Perfect, guys. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you, Comb family. Hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, it is so exciting to see all of you out here tonight. We have, uh, we've had quite a uh, two-day span here at Beach Point. This is the, the last of six uh, Christmas Eve services. We've been running uh, for two days on our two campuses. There's well over a thousand people that have been coming in and out last night. Probably a couple hundred, maybe up to 500 people that were here sledding and doing everything. And so it's been a really, really festive uh, time these last couple of days. And I hope, I know some of you are coming from something. I, I just came from 15 family. We did three services this morning, 15 family over at the home. An amazing meal. And I am half food coma, half I didn't get my, my Sunday nap. So if there's something delirious that comes out of my mouth tonight, I cannot control that. That's just how Christmas goes. But I know some of you are coming from uh, great celebrations. Some of you are headed to great celebrations. And, and uh, we're so excited that you could be a part of this. Uh, for me, for the most part, Christmas has been, it's been a, a lot more relaxed this year. And in part, because we, I, I made a conscious choice really to kind of give up control of Christmas. Uh, my wife and I would find ourselves uh, battling over the budget. You were here a couple of weeks ago. I was sharing how I, I kind of gave that up because we realized we would kind of argue over, are we spending too much, too little? Can we try to do a little more? Whatever. But you know, that, that's the battle that goes but on, not just through December. It goes into January once the credit that. card bill comes kind of and you're still over fighting over everything. Uh, I, I gave up tonight. control over the we decor of the house. Too much, not enough. Like every year I felt there was more boxes going into the attic and couldn't quite figure out how we just kept accumulating all this stuff. You start to wonder, I've got a a 21-year-old, no, 22-year-old and a 19-year-old. And you start to wonder the ratio of age per child art that you put up still in the home. So if my son is 22, do I still put his kid art up on the walls? At what age is it inappropriate and embarrassing to him? So all those kinds of things. So I've kind of maybe some of you your husbands know this, this. maybe you have this as kind of a bigger us, role in your season. life. I, I was, I, I basically said, I, I only want one, so one piece of flair, one piece song, of, of, of decor for the entire house. Maybe some of you have this, and you have your little tiny man cave or whatever it is. I said, I just want my one, my one thing. And it's my, I'm not her button. What might he uh, the I'm not you? her uh, campaign was back so in 1985. And I don't know how many of you even know what this is. If you were a high school student in the eighties, like I was my mom, I grew up in a single mom home and my mom was trying to have this really 
uh, inspirational moment with our, uh, the three teenage kids. And she said, I want you each to pick out a really special ornament and we'll hang them on the tree. And it would just be about how we're fighting together this year. And me being a punk high school kid, I picked this. This was a promotional button of a Burger King uh, uh, advertisement that they were doing. And I said, this means a lot to me, mom, put this up. And I was just being a snarky high school kid. My, my sister picked out a snowflake that was like this big. My brother, uh, some kind of troll angel with giant hair. And, and I can tell my mom was just as excited to give this away to me as I was to receive it. And so for the last 26 years of my marriage, my poor wife has had to endure that this goes right under the angel on the top of our Christmas tree. That's all I ask. And I was explaining to my boys, and someday I will pass this on to you. And you will have this privilege and bless your family in this way. So people come in our home and I always ask, what's with the herb button? Like, I don't get it. Like, and so I have to explain this long story. But as you think about it, um, you know, giving up control is, it's a little difficult, isn't it? Because if you think about it, you and I love to sit in the director's seat of our life, don't we? You and I love to be able to have that sense of control. If I had my choice, I would not only want to direct uh, my life, I would want to write, produce, star in the, the story of my, I, I mean, I want complete control over everything that goes on. And, and when you think about this, I, I, I realize that some of you might resonate with this. Some of you may not be ready to admit you have control issues. Um, let, me, let me just say this. If, if, if a present shows up under your tree and it's not signed uh, from whom it's from, but it looks maybe something like this coffee cup, um, as long as everything is exactly the way I want, I'm totally flexible. If you get that from someone in your family, they might be trying to tell you something. If you're not sure you're there yet, um, I, I hope you don't get this t-shirt. Uh, I'm not a control freak, but I can show you the right way to do that. <laughs> now, here's the test to know whether or not you struggle with control. Some of you looked at that t-shirt and said, I would use a different font. <laughs> and if that's you... Mm, that might be a good shirt for you. So here's the, here's the thing. Christmas does not make our need for control and direction of our life any easier, does it? Because if you think about the songs that we've been singing, we've been singing about a king who's come into the world. And when a king comes into the world, what a king is looking for is loyalty from uh, the, the subjects, the servants. He, he's looking for a, a sense of allegiance uh, from people. Now, that can be a really scary proposition if it's not a good king. But Christmas is one of those things that if we look closely at it, that we begin to see that it is, Jesus is different. Uh, Jesus is a different kind of king. In fact, Jesus is the kind of king that we see that, that as you heard the, the boys as they read, uh, when, when Luke announces, when this angel, Luke writes about this angel's announcement, the announcement was that, that the coming of this king was good news. It, it was good news. It would cause great joy, not just for some, but for all people. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. In fact, I would simply say this. I, I think the more we, we study and we see and we look into the story, what we actually find is that Jesus is the king that we've been searching for. Jesus is the king we're searching for. In fact, what we begin to see, the closer we look, is that Jesus is the kind of king that we want in our life. In fact, the more we look into the Christmas story, we see things like that God is fighting for us. 
that God is working on our behalf, that there's this sense of this idea that you, you begin to understand that, that God cannot imagine a future without you in it. And so he fights for you and he works towards your behalf. But, but not only do you see this way that God fights for you and that he's for you, you see the unique way in which God is willing to enter into this world and draw near to us. And we see that Jesus is this kind of king that would, would uh, be with us and, 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 and be near us. And there's something quite powerful about this. And so think about this question that Joy brought up to you, this Christmas carol. Uh, we've been thinking about this, this little idea. What child is this? And the carol, uh, you might recall as we were singing, gives this answer. He is this king, and because he's the king, you should, uh, you, you should hurry on in and, and join this procession of praise of shepherds and angels. We, you, should, you should come and join in to all the joy of what's happening. Now, I don't know if you caught it or not, but there's a a special part. The second line of the song, usually when you think of a Christmas carol, that first line we kind of memorize, but that second part is so interesting. And the second part says this. It says, so bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. The song calls to mind a, 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 another part of the Christmas story, the part that we talk about called the wise men or the magi. That there was this time in which these, these travelers came and they gave gifts to this child and they, they recognized what God was doing. It's a, it's a wonderful part of, of the story that we celebrate, but sometimes it's part of the story that we kind of leave off to the side. We don't think too much of it. But, it, but in that moment, listen to the words of that song. Notice these words. If you see what they see, then you'll see there's a response. And the response is, let loving hearts enthrone him. The response is, you should make of your heart a throne room. And allow this king to become the lord of your heart, of your life. If you could see the kind of king he was, you would want your very heart, your very life, to be what, where he was enthroned and where he ruled. And so I want to invite you just to, to reflect on this story with me. It's found in Matthew uh, chapter 2. You're welcome uh, to follow along, but I'll put it up here on the screen so that we can read, read along. But what I want you to see tonight is a, is a couple wonderful things. And one of the things that I want you to see as we, we walk into this passage is when Jesus is announced as a king, he enters at, at a time in which there already is a king. His name was King Herod, and he was placed there in authority by the, the Romans. And, and Herod, while he was able to do some, some very good things, he typically used manipulation and violence and all kinds of other force to, 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 uh, to accomplish his will. And so one of the things that's so interesting to think about is that when Jesus is announced as king, there's already a king sitting on the throne. And so the passage begins this way. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. He found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw this child with his mother and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now this story is one of those stories that for me, I, I found it over the years, I, I kind of like kind of push it to the side. I kind of uh, uh, enjoy uh, some of the other stories uh, of the birth of Jesus. But I found in rereading this story this year that it, how fascinating, how, what, there, there were so many wonderful things. I want to share two wonderful things that I think come out of this. And it begins by understanding who the Magi are. Uh, the word magi is where we get the, the word magician. The magi is kind of a, is a root of that word. And so these were people who, while they were very learned, very intelligent leaders in their community, these were people who were, they were steeped in magic. They believed in its power. Now, they're not the David Copperfields or Joe Bluesh kind of guys that you would hire for your company party. I mean, they were, they were people who really saw this power of magic. And they would look into the stars and they, they believed in astrology that the stars could not only under, help you understand the future, but understand your fate as well. And so there was kind of this mystical part about them. Uh, they were from the east, and, and many uh, scholars guess that they would have been maybe from Persia. A, a part of Israel's story, in fact, is that they were held in, in exile and captivity in Babylon. The Persians came in and took control over, over Babylon. And so there was a season in which uh, they lived to, the, the Israelites lived among the Persians. And, and, and the, the wonder is that, that uh, these leaders had a chance to hear the stories of this king that would come someday, this hope that the people of Israel had that someday God would send his king into the world. And they would see the way that their faces would light up and they would think about the, they'd hear these prophet voices and they would say, someday it will be different. Someday our king will come. And, we, and they would think about this. And so one of the things that's so interesting is when this, this star comes in the sky. I don't know, how many of you freaked out a little bit on Friday night when you looked up into the sky and you couldn't figure out what in the world was going on? How many of you thought Santa came early? Any, anyone, did anyone think, for, I, see, I knew it, UFOs are real. There, anyone feel that? Uh, I, I don't know, I had a, 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 a slight moment of pause. Jesus, are you coming? Is this, like, is there something I need to, I need to ask for forgiveness for before you get down from wherever you are? So the, it was kind of this, Think of what it was like for them to look into the star. They saw this. They saw into the night, and they saw this powerful image. They saw this star that was beaming. They knew it meant something. Now, here's what's so significant. These magi, aren't, they were not worshipers of the one true God. They were not worshipers of the God of Israel. They, they were as pagan as pagan can be. And so isn't it fascinating what we see happening here? That God is doing something so incredible. He's reaching into the world of these outsiders and he's calling to them. 
and he's beckoning them and he's wooing them that they are willing to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles. Some estimate somewhere between 500 and 900 miles they were willing to travel. Maybe the most difficult journey they've ever been on, but there's something, something calling to them. And we see something happening in this, in this moment. We see the way that God is, is calling and working on their behalf that Jesus is not this ordinary king. In fact, Jesus is the king who is for us. We see this unique way in which God is working, calling the outsider, coming and saying, I can't imagine a future without you. I love the way that one scholar puts it. He says it this way. He says, the Magi were walking illustrations of the reach of God's mercy for outsiders, for sinners, for oddballs, for the undeserving, for irregular people. God chooses them, leads them, woos them. God uses the very thing that these men worshiped, a star to lead them to Christ. Just think about God's mercy in this. To use our idols to lead us to Christ. God is very creative. God is very good. Now, I love this part of the story because I'm a magi. Now, not in the magician sense, but I'm an outsider. I didn't grow up in church. My family are magis. We, didn't, we never went to church as a family. We never did this. We never came on Christmas Eve. We never did any of this stuff. And yet, I had this experience of God drawing me to himself. I, I found in 25 years of pastoring that usually people will see it and experience it in one of two ways. They'll either be really surprised of how God has drawn them to himself, or it's, it's kind of like the Magi. It's part of a long and, and, and meaningful journey over a, a substantial time. For, for us, for my, uh, me and my family, it was kind of this surprise moment. I was invited to a concert here at the church as a high school student. Uh, I was, the, the promise was that there would be uh, great music and cute girls. And so when I got here, the band had six songs total. After the sixth song, they asked if they could play the first song all over again, just so it felt like they had a little bit more of a, a catalog, I guess. So the music wasn't very good. Uh, but little did I know, my future wife was sitting in the row in front of me, her 80s bangs, like reaching out from the second row all the way to the stage. So I, so I was a little captivated, I will say that, and didn't quite know how it was all going to work. It took about five years to figure that one out. But, but in all of this... I look back on that time as someone who was an absolute outsider, who knew nothing about the church, nothing about the gospel, nothing about this good news. And yet, beginning on that night, there was this way in which I began to discover that God was wooing me and calling me. Some of you are, are, are probably in that same place. You feel like an absolute outsider. And this story is so great for us, isn't it? Because we see that there is no outsider. That God is calling to you just as he was calling to me, just as he was calling to them. And I don't know how you're experiencing it. Maybe someone moved into your neighborhood and you see that there's something different about them. You enjoy this person, but they have this kind of faith thing going on and it seems a little weird to you on the surface. But you have to admit, you, you like what you see in this person and you realize maybe, gosh, maybe God is using this person in my life. Or maybe it's uh, someone in your family who God has just gotten a hold of and there's a, a way in which you just see something different in them and you realize God is drawing you towards himself through them. I, I don't know how it is, but I don't doubt for a moment that any of you are here without the sense that God in some way is trying to woo you to himself because I think in Jesus we see that he is a king who is for us. Well, imagine what it was like 
when they finally got to this place, they're following the star and it's leading them, leading them, leading them, leading them, leading them until it gets to this place. And they enter into this place. They enter into this, this very uh, meek and mild uh, guest room in this, in this home in, in Bethlehem and they take in the situation. Now remember what it says is that they've come not only to seek this king, but they've come bearing gifts. Now, one of the things that's so interesting about this story as we see this is that the moment they saw this star, as you read through the chapter, uh, we see that it's been about two years from the moment they saw the star until about the time that this is. And so many scholars aren't sure when this all takes place, but it's quite possible that Jesus is two years old. Uh, Maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more, but about two years old, many people think, about this time. And so a lot of us have that, right? We have the nativity set where we kind of we always think of it as, uh, you know, you set it up and you have shepherds on the left and, and uh, wise men on the right. And everybody shows up at the birth at the same time. But it seems like this is a, a little bit later moment. So imagine what it would have been like to enter that room. And I know some of you are looking forward to this more than anything uh, this Christmas. And you come in bearing gifts to a small child. Isn't it magical to give gifts to a small child? Well, I just want to give you a, a glimpse of it. I've got a little helper here. Her name is Ella. Ella, can you come help me? Hold on that for a second. Do you want to use the microphone? Do you want to say Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Hey, do you remember who's, who, uh, who do we celebrate on Christmas? Jesus. Jesus was born, right? Yeah. And, uh, and are there any Christmas songs that you really like to sing? Um, it's Jingle Bells. It's Jingle Bells? Would you sing a little bit of Jingle Bells? Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle All The Way. That is awesome. Thank you. That was pretty impressive. What do you guys think? <laughs> now, now, how old are you? Three. Three? And are you excited about presents on Christmas? Yeah. And your eye and the present I have over here. Do you want to, do you want me to give you the present I have? Yeah. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Hold on to that. So, I've got this giant bag. You want to reach inside? What do you find? Just throw this on the ground. This, uh, we don't need this. We don't need this. We don't need this. What is in there? What is it? It is. It's a chubby puppy toy. Oh, how fun. You know what? Look at oh, There's more. What else is in there? Do you know what that is? It's Shopkins. Are you excited? Do you get to play with all these toys? Guess what? I have one more toy. It's over there, but you get it after the service. Your mom, it's a special little, little play tent that you're going to get to play with. All these toys you get to go play with right now. Does that sound like, pretty, like a pretty fun thing? Yeah. yeah. Are you excited? Well, you want to tell everyone Merry Christmas and go play? Merry Christmas. All right. Merry Christmas. Let me pull you down here. Now, I love that little moment of, of glee. And I, I, I want to show you that because I know for some of you, you'll get this one of the things that you're going to really enjoy is being able to watch a child open up a gift and just the fun. Uh, but I want you to think about this because it, it, this is kind of an interesting part of the story. 
Think about this. Now, now Scripture doesn't tell us there were three wise men. That's just part of tradition uh, because we see the three gifts. Some tradition says that there could have been up to 12. But imagine you were part of this group, this, this entourage, and you enter into this home and you take in and you see this little toddler waving his arms and making noise and he's got a little something wrapped around him and there's dirt all over his face. Now, you might look at this and, and knowing what you know, think, wow, this is kind of interesting. I'm seeing Jesus as a little kid. But it says this, that when they entered into that room and they saw the child, did you see what it said they did? They bowed down and they worshiped. They, it, the word worship means what you would do if you, you felt you were before God. And they are looking in the face of this child and in the face of this child, they, they are seeing the face of God. And they fall down and they worship. Now it's quite, it's quite a spectacular thing if you think of it. So take a moment and, and imagine this. Here this moment is, and you're going to be sitting at your home and watching a little kid open up a present. And, and my hope is in some ways when you see this, that there's this moment of wow. I don't, I don't know if you, when, when there's this moment of wow in your life, it's one of those things where you just kind of have this, this moment where you're just kind of mesmerized by the miraculous. You just kind of, it kind of blows your mind. And when you see this child, there's going to be this moment where you go, wow, wow, Jesus, it's amazing what you did for me. See, most of us, right, we, we skip this part of Jesus' life. We, we, we think about him being born, and then we just fast forward 30 years until he begins his ministry. But we fail to remember the fact that he was two, and four, and six, and 10, and 12, and 15, and 20, that he lived in this world with us. And he took on this life with us. And the scriptures are, are very clear as to why he did this. He came, he could represent us, he could be our sacrifice. But he also did this so that not only does he come into this world so that he can help us know God, but he enters into this world so that he can know us. In fact, the scripture says this, that, it, that instead of being afraid of God, that we are invited to, to rush into the throne of God because he can empathize with you. He knows what it feels like to go through the things you go through. He knows this, th these feelings and he can feel these things with you. And he knows how to care for you in your time of needs. And so as you watch a child unwrap a gift and your head kind of goes, wow, I can't believe Lord, you would enter this world and be a child and be a teenager and take on this life. And, and it, will, it will strike you because you'll start to, to, to understand something that he, he knows. He knows what it's like to be broke. He knows what it's like to be hungry and tired. He knows what it's like to be afraid. He knows what it's like to have a friend betray him. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. And, and while he never sinned, he knows what it's like when we feel shame for our sin because when he went to the cross and he took our sin upon himself, he also took our shame upon himself. He understands that feeling. He empathizes with us in those moments. And so when you see a child, you can go this weekend, you can say, wow, Lord, you would do this for me. See, Jesus, in this moment, we see, is not only the king who is for us, he is the king who is with us. 
He is the king who is with us. In fact, if, maybe you remember the words that were said that he won't be this ruler to oppress us. He will be a, he will be a leader to shepherd us. He'll be a, a king to shepherd us. And, and when you think about that idea, in some ways the scriptures bring this to life in such a powerful way. It shows it in the Psalms. One of the most familiar passages of scripture is Psalm 23. And in the Psalms, I love the Psalms because they, they build this brilliant picture of God's greatness, but also his nearness. And in the Psalms, in fact, actually in January, we're going to go through a series on the Psalms. And after the service, right outside here, there's a black uh, Beach Point tent. And there's books. We want to invite you back to come to our January series on the Psalms. We're going to uh, have this chance to think through. If you do goals and resolutions and things like that, this is a chance to think through those by uh, thinking through the Psalms and how God wants to make just this next year a powerful year in your life. But listen to Psalm 23 and the things that... that, uh, it says about what it means for him to be the kind of ruler who will shepherd you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table uh, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus offers to be the king who will shepherd you and lead you and guide you. And this is, this is kind of a stark in stark opposition to, to the alternative. See, because you can lead your own life. You can choose to be the kind of person who, who wants to have control and you don't want to give up control of your life and lead your life. Or you can see Jesus as the kind of king who is for you and with you. And, and what we see in, in a passage like this is that he is the one who can, no one can lead you with more compassion or care or power or provision he, he offers to protect you and provide for you. He offers to stand with you in your most difficult times, in your darkest valley. He will be right there with you. And when Jesus went to the cross and he took our sin upon himself, he put on display how, how significant God's love is for us. And he made it very clear that he is the king who is for you. But three days later, when he rose from the dead and he promised all his followers that he would never leave them, that, that, that he would be with them all the, the days until, until the very end of time, we see that he is the king who is with us. He is not like any other king he will lay down his life for his servants and he will be with you. He, he, he desires so deeply to be with you. He is the king that's for us and the king uh, that's for us. And as you think of this, this, this passage is so interesting because what it does is this. Uh, you see two responses in it. On the one hand, you can look at a story like this and you can respond like King Herod. And see, what King Herod did is King Herod refused to give up his throne. King Herod was not willing to, to give up the control. In fact, as you read more into this chapter, you see that he continues to fight for control. He continues to manipulate the situation. He is unwilling to give up his throne. And, and, and you and I know, you can't share a throne. There's not enough room. 
It's incredibly threatening. And so it takes a lot of courage to be willing to give that up. So one of the responses certainly is, is to not give up control of our lives. But there's a second response. And the second response is the response of the Magi. Here these outsiders show us really what the correct response is. What, what is the only true and right response? And it says this, that, that they saw him. And when they saw what God was doing, they, they bowed down before him. And they worshiped and they offered to him their very best. You can fight him, you can resist him, or you can enthrone him in your heart. And so as we close our service today, we're just going to close with singing a couple carols. And I, I, I love this. One of the things I love about Christmas carols is that it helps us see not only a beautiful picture that's a part of the Christmas story, but every good Christmas carol draws you back to that the right response is to uh, see it and respond in some way with, with praise, with adoration, by enthroning him in your life. Every carol brings us to that point. And so as we sing these final two carols, my hope and prayer is that you'll do the same. That not only will there be a sense of, wow, it's so good to think about what this, what Christmas, what you're doing, God, for us at Christmas. That you won't just say, wow, but there's a sense of saying, I want to bring you my life, my best as well. So would you stand with us as we sing these final songs?